Good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. It's, it's, a, it's a privilege to have this opportunity to share and worship together in the common faith that we have in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> to share in communion and to have this time to study from God's Word. And I want to continue this morning <clears throat> our study in the book of Daniel, in Daniel, the fifth chapter. Thank Bo for the reading of this morning. Um, and the focus in those verses on accountability, the, the, uh, the accountability that we have as individuals, the accountability that we have to God. And as we go through this chapter, chapter 5 of Daniel, we're going to point out some things that the Bible teaches us uh, through the events of that chapter about our accountability and about the accountability of uh, Belshazzar, who is highlighted in that chapter. <clears throat> As I was preparing for the lesson this morning, I came across an illustration I thought was interesting. It was, uh, there was a man who worked for Ford Motor Company, this was back in the 1950s, and this account said that this man um, attended a gospel meeting and responded to the invitation and was baptized and after he was baptized he went back to work and he began to think about uh, his accountability and and he realized there were a lot of things that he had done over the years as an employee that he was regret regretted including uh, taking several things that did not belong to him <laughs> that belonged to the company and so he gathered all those things up and he brought him back to work, and he presented them to his uh, supervisor and explained that uh, he had become a Christian, he had been baptized, and that he wanted to make things right with some things he had, he had done in the past, and he wanted to return those things. And the supervisor was somewhat taken aback, but uh, took those things, went and reported them to his supervisor, who was going to tell uh, Mr. Ford about the event. Mr. Ford was out of the country at the time, so he sent a telegram to Mr. Ford about this happening, and, and uh, Mr. Ford responded, figure out a way to get everyone else baptized. <laughs> so uh, it is kind of a humorous story, but there's a lot of truth in that story, isn't there, that uh, we do have accountability. And, and um, as I said, we're going to go through the uh, Daniel chapter 5 uh, just to quickly remind us of the uh, the events that have taken we've studied so far in the book of Daniel um, that according to the prophecies of Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah that the uh, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin those known as Judah were taken captive by the Babylonians uh, initially in 605 around 605 BC and that's where the initial captives were taken and among those who were taken was Daniel and his fellows and we we remember the accounts of Daniel 1 where Daniel refused to defile himself with eating things which the law prohibited him. And he, was faith, his, he exhibited his faithfulness to God. And that, that faithfulness we will see throughout the book of Daniel in the life and the character of Daniel. In, uh, in chapter 2, in, which was approximately 603 B.C., we see the account where God gave to Nebuchadnezzar a dream about things that were going to happen in the future, and that dream was interpreted by Daniel, and Daniel explained to him that, there was, that this dream 
represented a succession of kingdoms that were going to come to pass that began with the Babylonian Empire, would be followed by the Empire of the Medes and the Persians, which would be succeeded by the Greek Empire, and finally by the Roman Empire. And then in the days of the Roman Empire, would God's kingdom be established, and that kingdom would stand forever. <clears throat> and so we continue on in the book of Daniel. We come to uh, Daniel chapter 3, and we read the account of, of Daniel's fellows who were also taken captive with him, who also were trained to serve in the palace of the king, who were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when they were compelled to worship an idol, that they refused to do that. And because of their faithfulness, <clears throat> they, they presented a lesson to the Babylonians about the power of God and the one true God. And not only that, but gave hope and encouragement to all those people who were in captivity of God's presence and God's providence and that God was in control and that God was going to provide for them and he was going to sustain them, that his promises would be fulfilled, that they would one day return to their homeland and that they would, the remnant would be there and would be present to bring about the promises that God had made to Abraham and to David of the Messiah who would come through their descendants. In chapter 4, which, was, which happened several years later, uh, the accounts of chapter 3 were 586 B.C. And chapter 4, several years later, where Nebuchadnezzar is humbled. And we remember there how he had been lifted up with pride, but that God gave him a warning of his, of his being humbled and that he basically was uh, lost his mind for a period of time and lived like an animal until he came to his senses and realized that everything he had came from God, that his rule, his reign, his power as a king was given to him by God, that he had no place to lift up himself with pride, but only to give glory and praise to the one who had given him these things. <clears throat> In fact, this, uh, these events occurred from 573 to approximately 565 B.C. And then in 562 B.C., some two or three years later, Nebuchadnezzar dies. And so that, that, that portion of the Babylonian kingdom passed away, which was the zenith of the Babylonian empire. And now we're going to go into Daniel chapter 5, and in this chapter we're going to see the conclusion of the, uh, the Babylonian empire. And that begins here in chapter 5 and verse 1. The scripture says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for the thousands thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousands. So we... First of all, we're introduced to this man whose name is Belshazzar. And to give us an idea who he was or to explain to us who he was, we look at the succession of kings of the Babylonian Empire, beginning with Nabopolassar, who reigned from 626 to 605. He was the father of Nebuchadnezzar. He was the one who began to, uh, who God began to give power to, 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 uh, create the Babylonian empire and, and the reign that they had. He was succeeded by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar reigned for 43 years. He was succeeded by his son, Amal Marduk, uh, for approximately two years. And so we see a lot of turmoil over the next few years as, as these kings who succeed Nebuchadnezzar kill each other off to try to, to gain the power of the throne. And, and this continues with Neraglesar, 
who reigned for approximately four years from 560 to 556. He was, he was succeeded by Labashi Marduk, and I have no idea if that's the way you pronounce that, but uh, he then was succeeded by <clears throat> Nabonidus. And Nabonidus, uh, you can see, reigned approximately 17 years, and he would be the actual king uh, when the destruction of Babylon, when the, when the, uh, when the, <clears throat> the conquering of uh, Babylon takes place in this chapter. So where, who is Belshazzar? So Belshazzar is, is, is identified here as the king. Well, we find through, through history that Belshazzar was the son of Nabonidus and that Nabonidus in approximately 550 was exiled from Babylon. And, and it's not clear as why he was exiled. Some suppose that it was he, he chose to be exiled. He chose to take basically a leave from being king, and he appointed his son Belshazzar to rule over Babylon. And so Belshazzar was the son of Nabonidus, but he was actually a co-regent. So he shared the throne with his father. And so when you look at these succession of kings, typically or historically, Belshazzar was not there. And a lot of people, uh, when they read this chapter, they they Critics of the Bible said Belshazzar was not a historical figure because there was no account to that date that secular history had of this Belshazzar. But then in the mid-1800s, as they continued to excavate um, ancient Babylon, they found records of this man Belshazzar and actually who he was, which tied identically to the account of Daniel. So Belshazzar is the king at this time, and it tells us that Belshazzar had made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of a thousand. So he had this great feast, and they were gathered in this great hall that was large enough for thousands to gather in. And he, was, he, was, he had this feast that he wanted them to be a part of, and he invited them to. So what, what's unusual about this is if we look at what's taking place in Babylon at that time. So what had, just take, what had just happened was the Medes and the Persians, who God had told, had told Nebuchadnezzar was going to succeed the Babylonian Empire, <clears throat> those guys were on the rise, and they were out there conquering. And they, were, they had just defeated the Babylonian armies in a, in a war just outside, in close proximity to the city of Babylon. And they had forced the armies of Babylon to retreat within the city. <clears throat> and so they are now surrounding the city. So his city is besieged. And what is, what is uh, Belshazzar doing? He's throwing a party. He's showing absolutely no concern for what's going on. And why was he doing that? Because he thought the city in which he lived was impenetrable. According to the Greek historian, a Greek historian, the walls of the city around Babylon were approximately 80 feet thick and approximately 40 feet high. Some say 40 feet, some say 320 feet, which would be, you know, 30 stories high. The, the walls were huge. <clears throat> and there was no way that that army could penetrate those walls or come over those walls because they were guarded. And so he felt like they were, they were safe. And not only were they safe within, but they had supplies to last them for many years. And so he thought, 
they can be they can surround us as long as they want we'll outlast them because we have plenty of supplies and so he showed he had no fear at all for what was happening and so he was basically he was acting in defiance he was acting in defiance I don't care if they're surrounding us we're going to throw a big party and and we're going to uh, I'm going to invite all the the nobles of the kingdom to attend this party this is just a look at where Babylon was um, on the map and you can see the star there and and I would just make the point that that you can see it's right on the Euphrates River in fact the Euphrates River flowed through the middle of Babylon there was in the way they built the walls they created a way they left an opening for that river to flow through and they guarded it with I believe with gates that came down over the the top of the river so boats couldn't come through there but the river was deep enough and wide enough and swift enough that an army could not try to come in under those gates either so that was a part of the uh, defense mechanism of the city was and also the provision that they always had plenty of water and they actually diverted that water within the city to create a system of canals um, this is just a rendering of what some have supposed that the city would have looked like and you see the river coming through the midst and the the outer walls that were according again to historians that they actually could have chariot races on the top of those walls that they were wide enough to do that <clears throat> The interior of the walls uh, encompassed approximately 200 square miles. So you can see it, it, was, a great, it was a great area that those walls surrounded and, and uh, allowed for the, peop, the safety of the people of Babylon. And while he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which, he had, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king, his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Again, we go back to the prophecies of Isaiah. We remember that Isaiah um, had prophesied that the Babylonians were going to take those treasures out of, out of uh, Jerusalem, those treasures of the temple that were dedicated to the service of God. And... Um, and we again found in chapter 1 of Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar took those things. But those things had set in storage for all of this time. And if we go back again from 605 B.C. to the time of these events, that's been approximately 66 years. So 66 years, those treasures, those vessels that were taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem had sat in storage, we suppose, until this time. And so... So again, we see the defiance here of Belshazzar. And they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. So, so we're going, why? Why was he doing this? Why was he doing this? He was, his, he was surrounded with armies, and what is he doing? He's, he's very flippantly um, defying the God of heaven. He's saying, look, we conquered these people, Israel, and we've, we have all of the vessels of their God. Now, he knew that what had happened with his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. He was aware of the events that had happened in Nebuchadnezzar's life that led Nebuchadnezzar to give praise and honor and recognition to the God of the Jews, the true God of heaven. 
But he is, he is defying that. He is being defined. And what he's saying is we conquered those people. You know, there, was a, there were thoughts among the, the people of this time that if they defeated another army or another people, that that represented the fact that their gods were superior to those people's gods. And so he's, he's kind of putting this on display now and saying, look, how, look, we conquered these people and we're going to defy their god by bringing in these these uh, vessels, and we're going, to, we're going to drink out of them in our worship to our gods, these, these pagan gods that they were worshiping. So not only was he blatantly using those vessels that had been dedicated to the worship of the true God in drinking of them in a drunken feast, but he was using them in his pagan worship to, to the gods of Babylon. And in the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote on the, opposite the lamp, on the wall opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. So immediately after they do this, and as he's probably using the vessels of the temple of God to, to toast to his fellow revelers, uh, to, the, to their gods, to the gods of stone and wood and the other things listed there. But he's doing that and all of a sudden his attention is drawn to something that is uh, beyond his understanding. He sees a hand, just a hand. <laughs> that's that's kind of hard for us to imagine, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it is and it isn't, but you, you wonder, was it, was it a large hand? Was it a normal size hand? I don't know. But he saw basically a hand, and the hand was writing on the wall. You know, we've heard the expression, you know, this, somebody looks like they've seen a ghost. Well, that's kind, of what, that's kind of what Belshazzar, what happened to him. It says, then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him. So the joints of his hips were loosed, and his knees knocked against each other. So he sees this hand writing on the wall, and he... I mean, he first has to wonder, am I just seeing things? But he recognizes that this is, this is an act of, this is a miraculous deed that is happening. This is, this is deity. This is God who is speaking to him. And, and again, it says that he is, he is quaking with fear. I mean, his whole countenance changed. He's gone from this guy who is defiantly... Um, defiantly going through these actions of, of um, defying the God of heaven to the point now that he is, he is quaking with fear. His whole countenance has changed. And we might say he's, he's as white as a ghost because he looks like he's seen a ghost. So he recognizes that he is in the presence of God. And the king, king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers and the Chaldeans and the soothsayers, and the king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, and shall have, have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So, you know, this sounds familiar, that, you know, when these events happened to Nebuchadnezzar, when he had the dreams, or when there was something he didn't understand, he immediately would call for his counselors, and those who were... Um, his inner circle to you know, try to explain to him uh, these events. And again, we have to remember that 23 years have passed since the death 
of Nebuchadnezzar. And so Daniel at that time was basically the prime minister of Babylon. He reported directly to Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, so several administrations, we might say, have come to pass. And so you, with the passing of an administration, much like in our country, there's a changing of the guard of those who are close to the king as he, he, as he answers political favors and brings in those who he trusts and who he, he has a relationship with. And so Daniel, over this time, has just kind of faded back into obscurity. So that Belshazzar really doesn't even know who Daniel is or have a remembrance of Daniel. And so what does he do? He calls in, much like Nebuchadnezzar, those who he's close to and who he trusts to explain what's going on. And he makes the promise here that he's going to, he's going to give rewards to anybody who can do this. In fact, he's going to make them the third ruler in the kingdom. And that's interesting, the third ruler. Who, why would he be the third ruler? Because it was the, fir the first ruler was the king, Nabonidus, right? He was really the king. Belshazzar would be second in command, who was the co-regent who was ruling at that time. So this person would rule directly under Belshazzar, much like Daniel had done under Nebuchadnezzar. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king its interpretation. That's not surprising, is it? <laughs> who, would get, who was this message? This was a message from God. God had, God had plans for who was going to interpret this message, and it was not going to be the Chaldeans or the soothsayers or the magicians. God intended that it would be Daniel who was going to interpret these words for, for Belshazzar. And it says the king was greatly troubled. No one, he, he had seen the hand, he could see the writing, no one could interpret it. He was very troubled, he was very... Um, in anguish over this and it says the lords were astonished they were troubled by this too they, you know their party had all of a sudden you know the music was gone there was quiet they were all troubled by what's happening and so word goes to the palace and who's at the palace but the mother of Belshazzar who is the queen or the wife of Nabonidus who some suppose was actually the granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar or the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. And the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. So she leaves the palace, and she comes to the banquet hall. And the queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. So like any good mother, she comes to comfort Belshazzar. And, and say, you know, she's going to help him make things right. She's gonna, she said, don't, don't be troubled about this. We'll figure this out. And so she remembers. She said, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And notice the, the words that she used. This was someone who was directly bore witness to the events that happened in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And so she had seen those things, and she had seen the, the things that God had presented through Daniel and how, as she puts it, the spirit of the holy God was in Daniel. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father... Your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. So she's going back and she's saying, this man was, showed so much wisdom. He was so helpful in all these things that he was made second in command to Nebuchadnezzar. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, 
whom the king called Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will give the interpretation. Now we remember also, it's interesting here that she refers to him by his Hebrew name, Daniel. We remember that when Daniel and his fellows were brought in and they were trained to serve, in the, Bab- serve the Babylonian king, that their names were changed to represent or to allude to the gods of Babylon. And that's what Belteshazzar uh, represented it was a reference to one of the gods of the Babylonians but Daniel's Hebrew name was a reference to the God of heaven the true God and we talked about the meaning of Daniel's name was God is my judge God is my judge and isn't it interesting when God presents himself before the kings of Babylon what are they being done they're being judged by the God of heaven <clears throat> Now let Daniel be called and he will give the interpretation. And then Daniel was brought in before the king. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah whom my father the king brought from Judah? So what is he, the first thing he does is he makes sure Daniel knows his place, right? You're one of those, ca- you're one of those captives. You're one of those conquered Jews who now is a servant here at, of, of the Babylonians. Are you that, are you that one that, I'm, that I've heard about, one of those captives of Judah? I have heard of you that the Spirit of God is in you and that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me and they could not read this, that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation. And I have heard of you that you can give interpretation and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me the interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So again, he makes the same promise to Daniel that he had to his other counselors that you're going to be given rewards of wealth and you're going to serve as as a high ruler in the kingdom. And Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another, yet I will read the writing the king of the king and make known to him the interpretation. As you read this verse, there seems to be a little bit of um, a defiance in the way, way of a little bit of disrespect from Daniel. And I, and I don't, and I've, as I've read through this and different people's uh, take on this the the thinking is probably not that you know and in, in any event that you've seen in Daniel he was never disrespectful in the way he approached the Babylon in Nebuchadnezzar or the other rulers of Babylon and so it's more likely that what all that Daniel is saying here is I'm going to interpret this but I'm not doing it because you're promising me rewards I would do it even if you did not reward me for it or promise me any reward, rewards for it so it's really a humble thing and, a, and a, a thing of service that Daniel displays here. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. And whomever he wished, he kept alive. And whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. And he just... He refers to the authority that Nebuchadnezzar has. But he points out very specifically who gave him that power. Who gave him the authority to rule and to do these things. It was God. 
It was God who gave them that authority, and God made sure that he knew it was, as he goes on to explain. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. When, when Nebuchadnezzar got a little too big for his britches and forgot that it was God who gave him that authority, God taught him a lesson that he would understand that it was God who gave him that authority. And so it is with every kingdom and every rule in the world that those things are there only by the authority of God because either God has specifically given them that authority or allows them to hold those positions. <clears throat> then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like an oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints it to whomever he chooses. Until Nebuchadnezzar had, was a period of approximately seven years that he lived like this, until he came to his senses and the understanding and the reasoning that all he had was because of God, that he was, there was nothing of himself that he had placed to, to boast or to take pride in, but all of those things were a gift from God. But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. <clears throat> Belshazzar knew this account. He knew what had happened to Nebuchadnezzar. For whatever reason, he did not take those things to heart. Which brings us to the first point of accountability. <clears throat> we are accountable for the things that God has told or taught us. The Word of God is available to almost everyone on this planet. I mean, it's hard. It would be hard to find someone who does not have some availability, though, those, though there probably are some. But to anyone who has that access to know the Word of God, God is going to hold them accountable for knowing what God's will is. God sent His own Son into this world to bring salvation and the message of the gospel is rung ab abroad and, and around the world and so that when it comes time to give an account to God, not knowing what God expects of us will not be an excuse. Just as it was not an excuse for Belshazzar who disregarded the events of Nebuchadnezzar and the, God, the things that God had taught him through the things that he suffered so that at this point in his time and in his life, he has no excuse for the actions and the way that he's behaving. Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse 48, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. We're going to be judged by the things that God has told us through his word and through the words of Christ. Daniel goes on to say, And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not hear or know. You're giving all this praise and honor to the works of your hands, to dumb objects. And the God, listen to this verse, and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all of your ways you have not glorified. 
That's a powerful, that's a powerful message. That's a, those are powerful words. The God who holds your breath in his hands and owns all your ways. There's many, several times in the scripture that the scripture points this out, beginning back in Genesis, where it tells us that God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The body that we inhabit, the, the life that we have, the soul that we possess, the spirit that we have all come from God. It is God who gives us life and God who sustains us life. The second point of accountability is this, that we are accountable to glorify our Creator. Even this pagan king, who was not one of the chosen people of God, but whom God had revealed himself to through the events that happened in Babylon and to his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar, by that knowledge... The knowledge of the true God was accountable to give, give glory to God. In Acts chapter 17, as the Apostle Paul spoke on, on Mars Hill and preached to the Athenians, he said, God who made the world and everything in it, the true God of heaven, who is the creator of all things, gives to all life and breath and all things. He gives us everything. He gives us life. He gives us all that is in this life. He sustains our life. For in Him we live, live and move and have our being. It is in God that we live and move and have our being. And as He made well known to Belshazzar, He who holds your breath in His hands. It is Him who sustains our life. By Him, by His permission, by His authority, we live and breathe. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul said, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? We as Christians do not belong to ourselves, but we belong to God. For you were bought at a price with the blood of Christ. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We, have a, we are accountable to God to glorify Him for all that we have and all that we are. Daniel goes on then in verse 24 and says, Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him. Sent from whom? From God. What you saw was from God. This was God's message to you. And this is the inscription that was written, Meeny, meeny, tekel, eupharsin. And the interpretation of each word, meeny, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. God has taken account of your kingdom. He has numbered it. You know, we, there's, there's a couple of, there's several phrases in this chapter that we recognize in the world today and people use all the time and don't even know where they came from. You've heard people say, your days are numbered. That's where it comes from right here. Because that's what Daniel, what the Holy Spirit was telling Belshazzar through Daniel. Your days are numbered. God's numbered your days. And they're coming to an end. You have been weighed in the balance. You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. What's he saying? You've been judged. Judgment has come upon you and upon your kingdom. God is bringing those things into judgment. You've been judged and you've been found wanting. And third, he said, Perez, or Eupharsin, your kingdom has been divided in the, to the Medes and the Persians, just as God had revealed to Nebuchadnezzar that time, the, end, the time of the Babylonians was over, and their kingdom was now given to the Medes and the Persians. 
The third, of, third uh, lesson of accountability we find in this chapter is that judgment is coming. And as, as Bo gave us the reading this morning about the fact that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to give an account for the things that we've done in this world, in this body. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or whether bad. We're all going to stand. All humanity is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the scripture tells us that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. We have the opportunity in this life to bow the knee and to confess the name of Christ, to surrender to his will, to glorify God in the lives that we live in Christ. But whether, whether a person does that or not, in that day they will. They will give praise and honor and glory to the Son of God who died for our sins. <clears throat> but at that point, it will be in judgment. <clears throat> then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple, and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him, that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. So just as Belshazzar had promised, when Daniel interpreted this, those things he had promised, he awarded to Daniel. And it's a little bit curious because we, the things that Daniel just told Belshazzar was not good news. He was already troubled. Certainly these things had to, to give great consternation and fear to Belshazzar. But in Belshazzar's mind, he probably still thought, I've got time. My walls are, are impenetrable. Those, those Persians are not going to take over tonight. I've got time. Okay, Daniel, thank you for, for doing this. Here, I'm going to give you the robe. I'm going to put, the, I'm gonna put the, the chain around your neck. I'm going to appoint you third in the, as ruler in the kingdom. But what Belshazzar did not realize was time is up. There's not any more time. Your days have been numbered and they've come to an end. You've been, you've been judged and you're found wanting and your, your kingdom is gone. It's given to someone else. What was happening outside the walls of Babylon at that time was the Persians had realized that they weren't going to get through those walls and so they were trying to figure out another way we can get in to those walls. And so what they had been working on is they had gone upstream the Euphrates River. And they had dug a canal that they were going to divert the water of the Euphrates River around the city of Babylon. And so they had people standing there at the river waiting, for the, waiting to watch that water go down. And when they, when they set the locks on whatever it was they devised, and that water was diverted, slowly but surely the, the depth of that, that river came down until it was low enough that they could actually wade into the city through the river. According to historians, the Babylonians still could have prevented them getting into the city because there, was, there were gates that gave access to the river from inside. And those, those walls around the river were as great as those were around the city. But because they never suspected that anyone could get in through the river, they left the gates open. And what happened was that the Persians came in under the gates of the river they marched right into the city. They destroyed and they conquered the city and they killed Belshazzar on that night. The fourth lesson of accountability that we take from this is to be prepared. 
knowing the warnings of God that we have, knowing the promises of God, the love that He's shown us in Jesus Christ and the, the opportunity that we have to, of salvation through Him, to ignore that and to think we have more time is at our own peril. Just like Belshazzar, we don't know when the time is up, when, the days, when, when our days are over. And the lesson is to be prepared, that we are accountable to be prepared when we know the will of God and to always be prepared. Matthew 24 and 42, Jesus said, Watch therefore when he's speaking about his return, for you know not what hour the Lord doth come. We don't know what hour the Lord will return. We also don't know what hour the Lord will call us home. So our lesson is to be prepared. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain. That very night. Time was up. His days were numbered and they were up. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. And so that very night there was a change of power. The Babylonian Empire was done. It was over in that, that quickly. Because who, by whose authority did they rule? It was by the authority of God. It was by the power of God, the providence of God. And when God said, the time is up, the time was up. And it's just as God had told Nebuchadnezzar, his kingdom was finished and it was succeeded by the Medes and the Persians. And just as sure as that happened, the other things that God revealed would, would happen in due course. The Medes and the Persians would be replaced by the Greeks and the Romans and then God's kingdom would be established. And just as God's promises are fulfilled there, they are fulfilled to us today. Jesus is going to return. We have to be prepared and understand our accountability to God through Him. We are accountable to God for all things, our takeaways. All things that God has told us. We are accountable to glorify our Creator in the lives that we live. We we understand that judgment is coming and that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It is our responsibility to be prepared. And finally, the final takeaway is through all the book of Daniel is to remember that God is in control. That is the underlying theme of the book of Daniel. Even though these children of God, the people of God, had been taken into captivity, it was still it was all by, according to God's authority and God's plan. It was God who would sustain them through that period of exile, that period of captivity. On this occasion, we see that their captors, the Babylonians, are destroyed. And their kingdom is taken away. But the, but the people of God survived it. And in short order, they're going to be able to return back to their homes. <clears throat> you know, we're blessed to live in the country in which we live. We're blessed to be citizens of the United States of America. And we are thankful to that. And we, we take great consolation in the freedoms that we enjoy. But you know, someday that could change. We look at the events that happen in the world and we recognize that none of the kingdoms of this earth are permanent. The kingdoms of this earth are going to pass away. How much more of a blessing is it that we are citizens of the kingdom of God? Because though the the nations of this earth pass away, God's kingdom will not. That's what he tells us. And his words will not pass away. Never knowing the minds of those present, If you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ and you have that opportunity today, 
If you would seize this opportunity to confess his name and be buried with him in baptism, to arise and walk, to walk in newness of life, or we can assist you with prayers or in any other way, we would invite you to come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.